looking at uh, Mark chapter 7 in the Bible's New Testament. This is a journey that we've been on as a church in the book of Mark, and we're doing it word for word, line by line. Uh, Take us the better part of a year and a half, I would say. It's taken us several months just to get here to Mark chapter 7. Mark is one of the gospel uh, uh, records, and it's very easy, very simple to read. It's in a very simple style. Uh, if you have a New Testament and you're, you're very new to the Bible, if you can get to your New Testament, and the first book is Matthew, and the next book is Mark, and we are in uh, chapter 7. Um, last week, we looked at the subject of the terrifying love of Jesus and this, this rather weird story of Jesus walking on the Lake of Galilee during a storm at 3 o'clock in the morning thereabouts. And uh, now he's landed, so to speak, uh, with the disciples on the west end of the Lake of Galilee at a place called Gennesaret. And there's all kinds of things happening through his hands. Uh, people are being he- miraculously healed, supernaturally healed all over the place. And uh, Mark tells us in verse 56 of chapter 6, wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, we're going to talk about Jesus and the Bible today. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are uh, many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, the hymn is Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, And hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban which means given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. This is a religious debate, as you can tell. 
And usually this puts people to sleep, discussions of religions and po- religion and politics. We try to stay away from that, but this is an intense religious debate that's happening here. And though it's 2,000 years old, in a culture that's far removed from us, we can learn many, many things uh, from this debate. First, observe with me that the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, their question revealed a motive, and it was not a good one. It's a motive of attack, their question. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? To us, it would seem a somewhat innocent question, I suppose, maybe out of curiosity. But when you go back into their world and you understand the broader context of what's going on here, this is a rather intelligent attack. Uh, The Pharisees were a large group in Judaism. They were extremely religious. They knew the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today, very, very well. Uh, They could interpret it. They could teach it. The word Pharisee means separate. Uh, God says to the people, come out and be separate from sin. And the Pharisees would take this very, very seriously. Uh, If anybody uh, knew how to follow the commandments, supposedly it was the Pharisees. Not only do you have them challenging Jesus, you have a tag team going on here. It's the Pharisees and the scribes. And the scribes are kind of like the Pharisees, except a little more technical. Uh, Any of you uh, ever met a lawyer before? Well, these are lawyers, but they're religious lawyers. You could think of them that way. And they could very succinctly interpret the law of Moses. Uh, Again, they knew how to teach it, but they would defend it. They were the defenders of orthodoxy of the day. Uh, They were the people who copied the Old Testament by hand, hence their name, scribes. Uh, So you've got this tag team who is challenging Jesus with this question about the washing of hands. It's not the first time that they've done this. If you've been with us in the Mark series, you'll know uh, in Mark chapter 2, they would challenge Jesus uh, about fasting and about the Sabbath. And uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came to him and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, Jesus, do not fast? And they challenge him on this. Uh, Verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pick heads of grain, pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Mark chapter 3, probably the most vicious attack against Jesus that you'll find in the whole Bible. Verse 22, the scribes came to him from Jerusalem, the text says, note that, and they were saying he was possessed by Beelzebul, the devil, and by the prince of demons, he, and the he is Jesus, casts out demons. So they accused him on issues of fasting, they accused him on issues of Sabbath, they say that he's in league with the devil, and here in Mark 7, verse 1, the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes. From Jerusalem. It's the same lot of people. So this is not an innocent question. This is a hostile attack and it's a rather intelligent one. What they're doing is they're saying, if this is how his followers are, not respecting or following the traditions of the elders, then what's that say about him? 
And what they're trying to do is publicly discredit Jesus, even while he's doing all these miracles and healing the sick in the villages and the marketplace, they want to discredit him. And we look at that and we say, well, what's wrong with these people? Uh, surely they need to have their heads examined. I mean, why aren't they happy? Why aren't they happy that their, their Savior has come? Why aren't they happy that the people are being made well? And the reason is that they thought that Jesus was a liar. And they thought that Jesus was a deceiver, a great deceiver, because he was not preaching the kind of kingdom that they thought should be preached. Uh, how could he call himself all of these things? He's just a carpenter's son. We know where he's from. He's not fulfilling our vision of the Messiah. He's a false leader. He is a deceiver, and he must be stopped in the name of God. So for godly reasons, in their view, the Pharisees and the scribes are attacking Jesus and they're doing it on their turf. Uh, their turf is religion. Their turf is the law. Their turf is tradition. And they're going to attack Jesus on these grounds. How many of you have ever been attacked by experts? You're doing your thing and you've got experts in the area who are after you and they've got you in a corner. It's extremely intimidating well, Jesus will not be intimidated by these folks at all. Why this tradition? Is the screen working? Oh, it's good. You're, you're all so lucky. In the first service, we had so many issues with this screen, but you even see my pretty face today. Oh, I'm so happy the screen is working. Why this tradition? What was it all about? Mark describes it for us, verses 3 and 4, and he says to us, kind of entre parenthèses, as we say in French, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders and when they come from the marketplace they don't eat unless they wash now this isn't talking about just washing your hands I hope you all bathe today uh, you know maybe if you're alone and no one's sitting around you that might be a sign but I think all of you bathe today before you came here this is not talking about that this is a religious form of cleansing a religious form of washing and they took it very seriously and they still take it seriously today and they apparently washed everything even dining couches and copper vessels and the like as uh, Mark tells to us it seems to be a little silly to us but back then it was taken very seriously and still is today these are you know 21st century shots of, of Jewish folk trying to do some type of ceremonial washing. And this is a tradition uh, that's been handed down from generation to generation. Those are Orthodox folks uh, on the back screen there. And this tradition, uh, although it's not from the Bible, it's from a collection of writings, a commentary uh, on the Old Testament that we call today the Talmud. And uh, these were written by kind of the venerable rabbis uh, of, the, of the day. And uh, it's uh, like a commentary on the Old Testament. And they took this very, very seriously. And these traditions that are being talked about in Mark uh, were aimed at honoring God. They didn't have bad motives. And they're aimed at obeying God. That, that's good motivation. Uh, tradition isn't always a bad thing when kept in its place. So these things were an effort to try and extend the biblical principle into everyday living. And the principle back then would have been separation, would have been holiness. 
And uh, we even see things in the book of Leviticus, everyone's favorite book, uh, about ceremonial uncleanliness. And so they would take some of the things there and they'd try and make them into a regular kind of system and ritual that people would follow and out of, out of good motives, not bad motives. And Jesus doesn't have issue with the tradition in and of itself. He has an issue with what has become of it in the minds of these people and he is going to answer their attack because they have rejected the Bible in favor of their tradition. And this Jesus takes them on and he has an issue with them about this. He said to them, verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Strong, strong language from Jesus. This is an interesting word that Jesus uses to describe them. He uses it often to describe the Pharisees and the scribes. It's a common word that they would use to describe actors in that day. Uh, so in the Greco-Roman world, you would have these folks who would perform on the streets and on stage, and they would wear these masks. You'll see some of them uh, on the screen, hopefully. And that's, those are actual masks, I think, that were used back then. The Greeks uh, were, were dominated by the Romans, but their culture lived on in Palestine, uh, even while the Romans were in charge. Their language was still there, the Greek language. That's why the Bible's written, the New Testament's written in Greek. And the, uh, the, the culture was very much Greek-influenced. And back then, you, the, the Greeks had come up with this, this type of acting where they would put these masks over their faces, and they could assume any kind of role with those masks. And Jesus is saying, you're like those people. You're pretenders. You disguise things. You are hypocrites, and you're wearing these masks. There's an air of religion about you, yes, but underneath it, it's phony. Nobody really knows who you are because what you present is not who you really are in terms of your religion. And Jesus will take a passage from the Old Testament and he will knock them over the head with it, so to speak, and interpret it. It's from Isaiah chapter 29. The quote on the screen is from the Hebrew Old Testament. Jesus quotes from the Greek Old Testament, same thing. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They talk it, but they don't walk it, is, what, is what's being said there. And Isaiah is written 600 years before Jesus was even born. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So it's human stuff. You're teaching as if it was, as if it was God who was saying it. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And now Jesus comments, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Wow, very, very strong words uh, that Jesus uses. But you may well ask the question, well, what commandment of God are they not following? They seem to follow it all. I mean, where does it say here that they're not following some commandment? And Jesus will explain to us what we have here is these ultra-religious folk. Pharisees and scribes, and they are violating the Big Ten, the basic Ten Commandments that Moses gave, you know, on the mountain with the two tablets there. If you've seen it in the movies, the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, Jesus is saying, 
You folk may be ultra-religious, but you don't even have the basics in hand. For Moses said, verse 10, honor your father and your mother. This is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's from Leviticus. Aren't you glad you don't have to obey that today? Some of you parents, you wish maybe you had to. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but back then, that was it. There was a, actually the death penalty for disobeying your parents back in the book of Leviticus. Uh, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me, well, it's korban. So Mark tells us, this, that is given to God. Oh, how clever. You no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or his father, which would be obeying the commandment, you know, honor your father and your mother. Thus, what do you do? You make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. I'm just giving you an example, Jesus says. How many of you know that when you, when you break one commandment, you end up breaking them all? When you lie, you have to tell another lie to try and cover up for the first lie. And here Jesus is saying, you folk, you don't even honor your parents. Easy commandment to honor, but you don't even do it uh, because you hide behind this well. It's devoted to God. It's devoted to God. Uh, you know, we talk today about taking the Lord's name in vain. And we say, well, when someone uses Jesus' name as a swear word, oh, shame on them, shame on them, we took the Lord's name in vain. Well, there's a greater crime than this. When we claim that God has said something that God hasn't said, and we start saying, oh, well, God this and God that, but God hasn't said anything about it. That's taking the Lord's name in vain also. And this they're doing as well. He's just giving them an example of how they break the Big Ten. And they pull out this Corban card, if you will, and korban is an interesting word. Only Mark uh, has it in the Gospels and it's nowhere else in the New Testament. It's a Hebrew word. Mark just dumps it in and leaves it in the Hebrew. He doesn't translate it into Greek for us. Uh, but he explains it and he says it's devoted to God. And that's what it meant. It meant that something was, was a gift or an offering consecrated to God. And uh, anything over which they would pronounce this word, korban, it would be dedicated to the temple. And it would be presented to God, whatever it was, an action, a money, uh, whatever it was. And Jesus takes issue with this. And he says, you know, you call it korban, but then, then the person can't honor their father and their mother. So back then, and even today, as, as their parents are aging, they're unable, in many cases, to take care of themselves. And so these people, would, their, their children would have to help them, would have to take care of them. The Apostle Paul even said it to Timothy, if someone doesn't provide for his immediate family, especially his parents, I think it says he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So very, very strong teaching in the scripture to take care of your family when your family is in need. But here, they couldn't even take care of their parents because they'd say, well, it's korban. It's dedicated to the temple. Oh, how clever. And Jesus goes after them and he says, now you've made it so that it's for people's own selfish use. Korban, not for their parents. And now they're disobeying the word of God. No wonder he calls them actors. No wonder he calls them hypocrites. What kind of take-homes are there for us today in this religious debate? It's 2,000 years old. It's highly technical. What can we do with it? Well, all of us have our traditions, 
don't we? And even if we think that we're not traditional, we are. I've been watching as we've moved over to the, the movie theater, and I notice that some of you, you sit in the exact same seat every time you come here. The same thing in the 9 a.m. service. You've got your seat picked out. You've got your, you know, your coffee or your tea or whatever it is, and you, you got it all. You have a nice custom that you've, you've learned to adopt to the change, and you've got your own little custom, your own little tradition that you've developed. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But this is what we do. You know, it's kind of part of being human. Uh, whoever said that church has to take place on Sunday morning? Does it say that in the Bible? No. Uh, why don't we have church on Sunday night? Why don't we have it on Monday night? This is a tradition and a custom. Uh, I joked with the 9 a.m. I'm not sure if the air conditioning is working yet here, uh, but in the 9 a.m. it wasn't working. You know why? Well, because uh, people don't go to the movies at 9 a.m. So it doesn't turn on, doesn't kick in until a certain time, and they're trying to override it and, you know, make our people comfortable and all that. Well, if we just break tradition and have church on Tuesday night, we'd be fine. It costs us a little more money, but uh, we'd be fine, right? Whoever said these things have to take place, did God say it? Well, absolutely not. God didn't say it. So, or, or God didn't say it is my point. Uh, who said that we have to sing at the beginning of every service? Who said that? Is this in the Bible? Thou shalt sing three songs, three choruses, you know, and repeat them three times each before thou is seated. Where does it say this in the scripture? The answer is nowhere. Uh, who says that you're supposed to dress like I'm dressed? Where does it say that in the scripture? Who says you're supposed to wear a tie or not wear a tie? Where does it say that in the scripture? The answer is nowhere. It says it nowhere. This is a custom. This is a tradition. And each church has them and each person has them. We all have our traditions unless you cry foul and say, well, Jesus had no tradition. He was the ultimate rebel and the ultimate anti-traditionalist. Be careful. Uh, the scripture teaches or shows that even Jesus had traditions and customs. Luke chapter 2, his parents went up to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12, Jesus they went up according to custom. Well, why didn't Jesus say no? Custom is bad. Well, he just followed the custom. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, Jesus is an adult. He comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, it says, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he opens the scroll and he reads out of Isaiah 61. As was his custom custom. So he had traditions, he had customs as well. John chapter 10 shows us that Jesus observed a, a holiday that's not even commanded in the Bible, uh, the Feast of Lights or Dedication. We call it Hanukkah today. And Jesus observed it. It's not even written about in the Bible. Well, why does he do this? Because traditions and customs aren't bad. The problem where they become bad is when we uh, use them to go over the Bible uh, and the disciple, the true follower of Jesus, can reject a tradition, change a tradition, throw it away, modify it, do whatever they want with it under the authority of Scripture. And this is where it gets difficult for us. And this is where the Pharisees and the scribes failed miserably. They had taken tradition and put it on the level or put it above the level of the scripture and this is where Jesus attacked them even when they attacked Jesus 
Uh, Things change. Traditions can be changed. They can be modified. They can be altered. Uh, can I can I give you a, a practical application? You know, when you moved over from the the building that's being renovated over to this building, you you changed tradition. You're sitting in a in a theater. This is a very anti-traditional type of meeting in you know church circles. Uh, you know, it's not traditional. It's a very contemporary thought. But how many of you know the truth of Scripture is that the body of Christ is the people not the place. The church is the people, not the place. So we can meet wherever we want. Uh, as long as we're doing, you know, church, as long as we're together having community together under God's word and learning about God together and experiencing one another's community and company, that's, that's the church. That's the community of faith. It doesn't matter where it takes place. But I have more news for you. When we go back to the facility, and God willing, it'll be sometime end of September, hard to say right now, a lot of moving parts in the air with, you know, ordering things and getting things installed, but we're in the home stretch now, and I went over there this morning to look at the place and see if anything was leaking uh, after all of the rain, and you know, it's going to be different. It's going to be changed. Some of you who've been to the old building for years and years and years, as I've often joked before, your DNA is embedded in the seat there. I mean, we may have thrown the seat out, but your DNA will live on forever. You know, maybe someone will bring you back to life with your DNA in 200 years, you know, should Jesus tarry. Uh, but uh, it, it, it changes. It changes. You're going to go in there and you're going to say, wow, it looks different. And maybe you'll find a seat and you'll brand that seat as your own and you'll go another 50 years with your DNA. But you, you don't know. 50 years from now, you know, there'll be some other uh, leader who will come in and they'll look at the building and they'll say, good grief, what were they thinking 50 years ago when they did this? Tear it all down and rebuild it. Do something different. And that could happen. It's custom. It's tradition. It's just a building. But it all, it all changes. And the disciple can let the thing go, like, you know, the song from Frozen, let it go. Well, you can let it go. Uh, you, you know, don't hold it back anymore. You know, let it go. Uh, you, you can do that. Uh, but don't become a, a, a hoarder of religious tradition. You ever seen these people on talk shows, you know, and they hoard things. And you walk into their house and you can't walk. Because it's got all the junk from 30, 40, 50 years ago still there collecting dust. Because they'll use it someday. Well, sometimes we do that with our religious garb and our religious tradition. Just, you, you, you can change that if you're a Christ follower. It's subject to the authority of the scripture. You can play with it. You can modify it. You can throw it away if you need to. Also, never use your devotion to God as an excuse, as a reason to disobey God. And this is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing with this korban thing. Oh, well, it's all for God. It's all for God. It's korban. It's korban. No, it's not for my mother or my father. No, no, no. It's all korban. It's all for God. And as soon as we pull out the korban card, it's sort of like everybody has to say, oh, they're so spiritual. They're so religious. You know, it's like the person today, and every time there's a church meeting, they're there. They're there eight days a week. For the church meeting. Well, they get the Bible study over here. I must go. Well, they get prayer meeting over there. I must go. Well, they have a sweep the floor meeting. I must go. Whatever the church, I have to go. Because it's all devoted to God. Well, my husband's going to leave me because I'm never home. But that's okay. It's all devoted to God. It'll work out fine. 
Well, my wife's uh, having an affair because I'm never home, but it's okay. It's all devoted to God. She's a sinner, not me. You know, oh, my kids are on drugs. I never spend time with them because I'm busy. I'm busy at the church. I'm busy giving it all to God. Well, how many of you know the church doesn't need you here every day? Every time it opens, every time we do something, go home and fix your problems. Fix your marriage. Fix your kids. Fix, fix it. This is obedience. This is what a disciple does. Instead of going, oh, it's all for God. I'm so religious. Come to church and, oh, we praise the Lord. Go home and it's, you know, a disaster. Uh, how many of you know your, your relationships this way with people, if they're good, the likelihood that your relationship this way with God is probably good also. Don't profess to have a good relationship with God when everything's falling apart this way. The two don't correlate. Uh, A scribe went to Jesus in Mark 12 and said to Jesus, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And all the Pharisees and scribes said, yes, 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 Jesus, that's true. And then Jesus says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This relationship and this relationship, they should mirror each other. And this is where Jesus is is, is attacking, really, the Pharisees and the scribes strongly, even as they tried uh, to intimidate him and, and bring him uh, to, to failure. Please stand with me, and I invite the, um, the worship team, if they would come back. They're going to just close with that song uh, talking about the grace of God, the amazing grace of God. And I think that there's an application for us today. Even as you looked at the picture of all of those masks that you saw on the screen from the Greco-Roman world, and it, w- it was amazing. You know, these people could just pick the mask up and put it on and they could be whatever character that they needed to be. And you know, today, even in the 21st century, there are people who do that. And, and many of us probably are in the room today and we know we can pick that mask up. We can, be, we can be this person today. We can be that person tomorrow. We can be the, put this mask on for this person take it down, put another mask on for the other person, and we become, in a strange way, a bit like those people from the first century, actors and disguised people. You know that God has enough grace to say, take your mask off and be who I created you to be. How many of you know that God doesn't make any mistakes? There's no mistakes in the audience this morning. You may think that you are. You may think that you need that mask. But God says today to you, you don't need it. You can, you can put it down and you can be the person in Christ who I've created you to be. A relationship with Jesus will make you real. You won't need the mask anymore. I'd ask that every head be, be bowed and uh, just, just for privacy, just for privacy so no one's looking around because this is a bit of a hard one today. And I wonder if there's any of you here today, you say, oh, I look at those masks and that's exactly who I am. I'm a stage actor and I think that I have to hide behind it. But today, I just want to put all of that down and give my life to Christ and let him forge me and make me. I've created such a mess with these masks There's so much sin in my life because of these masks. And I just want Jesus 
to make me into a new creation. I want to become born again by his power today. Is there anyone in that in that section uh, you, you feel that today and you just want me to pray for you? I won't call you to the front. Just want to pray for you this morning before we leave. Just put your hand up high so that I may see you. Just between you, me, and God today. Just looking around. Yeah, I see a few hands in the center at the top. Yeah, at the back. Many, many hands. Yeah. God wants you to take the mask down today. Yes, sir, I see your hand at the back and the left. You may put it down. Yeah, it's just so that I can see. God knows your heart. He knows your heart. Father, I thank you for for the honesty in this room today. Even a religious debate from the first century can wake us, can stir us, can challenge us. I pray for each one, uh, God, and we know that today is the day that we need Jesus. And Lord, I pray on their behalf, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, wash me and cleanse me and make me into a a new person. Make me a new creation. I want to be born again today. I don't understand all of it or what it all means, but I believe you are God and that's enough. Come in and wash me and make me into a new person. I put the masks down today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please join with Nancy and the team as they close with this great song about amazing grace.